This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 35 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is speaking with people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. Basically what I do is ask you a little bit about the kind of business. We'll talk about the Maple Business Council. I mean, if you're okay talking about your job a little bit as well and how you got into aviation. I like the fact that I get to wear a lot of hats and the airport's pretty supportive of that. I don't know, yeah, I'm a big sports fan too, so. <laughs> That's the voice of my guest this week, Jason C. He's the executive director of the BC chapter of the Maple Business Council. Having had a career with the Vancouver Airport Authority for nearly 20 years, Jason is best placed to see at first hand the relationship between Canada and our nearest trading partner, the United States. This has inspired him to become involved with many cross-border trade organizations in his career, one in particular is very close to his heart, the Maple Business Council. For the last five years, Jason, in his role as executive director of the BC chapter, has helped to promote inter-border relations between Southern California and Canada. If you're looking for an executive organization to help network and foster great business relations across Canada and the United States, look no further than the Maple Business Council. My first question for Jason was, what is the Maple Business Council and how did it get started? Maple would be considered like a bilateral trade organization, originally started by Stephen Armstrong and Robert Kelly um, in Southern California, um, really more as a Canadian expat organization, but I think it's grown much larger than that over the last several years. So that's your kind of first hat, but your other hat as well, if you don't mind telling the listeners, what do you do as a day job? So as a day job, I work at the Vancouver Airport Authority and I manage the air cargo portfolio there. Um, obviously been really challenging times the last couple of years, um, but having said that, and I actually entered this portfolio before um, COVID happened, but obviously air cargo has become much more topical as e-commerce has really taken off. Most things had to shut down and probably there'll be a continued adoption of e-commerce uh, moving forward. But um, I'd be fortunate enough to help hold several roles at, at the airport. Um, most of my tenure was actually in air service development on the passenger side, which was recruiting and retaining um, existing or prospective air carriers, but I also spent some time uh, in corporate finance, which is what my first role at the airport uh, was many years back. Well, that's great. So we'll talk about the airport side of things maybe in a moment, but I'd love to really focus on, well, I suppose it's your, your the star in the sky. It's something that you guys sort of started many, many years ago and you've got involved with. So it, the, the official name is the Maple Business Council. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And so essentially, when was it set up and why was it set up? So it was about six years ago. Again, it's the um, principals, Stephen Armstrong and Robert Kelly. Um, so they had a, a group called Canadians in Orange County, which was more of a uh, um, social get-together with Canadian expats. But I think they wanted to see if there was an opportunity with the support of the Canadian consulate in L.A. to do some more formalized business networking and actually create awareness of market opportunities in Canada in Southern California. And so that's how it sort of started off. I got involved with uh, them because I was working in an economic development organization. I was actually seconded from the airport to an organization called HQ Vancouver, 
which is a public-private partnership um, to attract regional head offices um, to Vancouver and BC. And um, we had lots of different partners, both in government and the private sector. And it just happened at the time, one of our private sector partners from HSBC was down in LA, had met with the consulate uh, in, in Los Angeles. And they had suggested that I should connect uh, with um, Stephen and Rob at Maple Business Council. And so that was, I think it was um, December of, 2016, I think it was when we first we first talked, and and as they were sort of building out their organization, um, I, I mentioned them. Look, if you're creating sort of a, a networking organization between Canada and the U.S., would you want to have someone actually in Canada? And, and being in Vancouver, there's obviously a lot of natural affinity for connections, both business between Vancouver and California, and that's a market I always wanted to learn about um, as well. And so I started as their sort of ambassador to BC, and then we've been doing uh, various activities. Uh, meetings, receptions, and events here uh, over the last uh, four or five years. And then we've actually just formalized it into actually a chapter um, over the last year or so um, as well. So it's been really good in terms of uh, continuing some of those contacts that I had at HQ Vancouver. We get really great support from the U.S. Consulate here in Vancouver, Global Affairs Canada, the province. And, and also we have a lot of local members um, uh, from the private sector involved with us um, as well. I'm going to be a bit cynical here because I, I don't have a lot of experience of this type of thing, you know, the sort of international trade chapters and what have you. Some people would say that, oh, it's just an old boys club. You know, they just get together for a drink and a social. And I mean, to be fair, you did indicate that was probably originally the, the foundation of the, the organization. But how can we dispel the kind of myths behind, you know, trade chapters and, and what they can and can't do? I mean, what's realistic? What's the timescale? And what can you achieve? What are the big things that you've achieved? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, networking and creating opportunities i mean i think when people join as a member ideally yeah, you pay your membership fee and it'd be great to immediately find a client to like get you know a return of 100 times or whatever that'd be great if it happens but in reality it's more of meeting one person who introduces you to another person and so uh, we've seen that a lot happen with amongst our membership as well as our partners and so that's really gratifying i mean um, I, I find it's great. I mean, just meeting yourself, David, is, is one example of it, um, is I get a chance to really meet um, someone new every month, if not every week, actually. And so even on my LinkedIn, I'm, I'm close to like 4,000 connections now. And, and a lot of that's really due to the, the connections that are really opened up from Maple. So you know, I've been involved with different bilateral trade organizations here in the past, most notably with the Hong Kong Canada Business Association. I was on their board for about 10 years, and that opened up a lot of opportunities as well for me. So I sort of want to continue um, doing that. But what's really opened up the opportunity is, you know, I've sort of developed a business network here locally. But it, what's been great is that I've sort of got another network of connections in Southern California or in Los Angeles, which has really been great to sort of open up. And then we've got a chapter now in, in New York. And so I'm getting to know some contacts in New York as well. And so the aspiration for our council is eventually have um, chapters potentially throughout U.S. and Canada as well as we mature, and hopefully that creates more opportunity. Because of COVID, we had to actually go much more um, online or virtual as opposed to actual events. But I think that's actually created a good opportunity. So, for instance, when I'm hosting an event here and um, coming up on October 14th, it's on a virtual platform called Remo. 
But if we had done it um, in person, obviously we're limited to the people actually in Vancouver. But as we've been doing virtual events, our, our, our um, attendance has really been people from all across North America. So I think it provides a real value proposition to our members to not only meet people locally, but now I can meet some people in Los Angeles or New York. And we have folks from Toronto and Western Canada join us as well. So hopefully it provides a lot of opportunities, not only for myself to, to build my never, but hopefully for our members and partners as well. So if somebody decided they would love to join the Maple Business Council chapter in BC, for instance, what's the process? Typically, um, it'd be really actually contacting myself and I could bring in Stephen or Rob and some of our partners to really tell um, them a little bit more about the organization. Um, but also, we're very active on social media as well, um, obviously through our website, maplecouncil.org, uh, but also very active on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. We also have our own YouTube channel. Um, as well. Excellent. That's really, really good. Okay. And we'll, what we'll do la- later on in the program, I'll get you to maybe just give us some contact information that people can reach out to you as well, specifically, if that's okay. Now you did, I heard something just there in the conversation, you talked about Hong Kong. So how was the link with Hong Kong established? Because it's very close to my heart. I lived there when I was a kid. And so I was intrigued by that. Uh, how did that get established? So actually at the time, back in, um, as I mentioned, uh, I was in your service development for most of my career at the airport. And in 2003, we were actually just building out our China strategy, actually. And so at that time, we did a lot of outreach um, to work with different bilateral trade organizations. And uh, in Canada, there's the CCBC, uh, to which we still work with quite a bit, but also HKCBA, Hong Kong Canada Association at the time. I thought they were one of the more active um, bilateral trade organizations. And and when the real benefit for them was um, the Vancouver chapter was actually linked with other chapters in Canada under the uh, Canadian banner, but the Canadian banner was actually linked with all the other countries under this Hong Kong Federation. And they would actually meet um, every year um, in December, the Hong Kong Forum, I think they called it. So I thought it was really well organized and I still attend a lot of their events. But I guess from my ancestral background, my parents actually originally immigrated from Hong Kong, but back in 67, actually. So it's been quite a long time. Wow, yes. And then yeah. uh, they actually went, they immigrated to, to Winnipeg of all places. So there wasn't a lot of immigrants from Hong Kong at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was obviously quite a bit of a, of a transition for them. And then we end up moving to Vancouver in uh, 77, actually. Okay, got you. Yeah. I was there in 1971-72, so they oh, okay. just left before I arrived. Yeah. So what, in your opinion, what can a trade organization achieve and what can't it achieve, just to be really clear? I think the best opportunity really from the trade organization is really opening up um, opportunities in terms of networking and building relationships. And and so I think it's good for you know make, making introductions, again, for our membership within our membership or some of our partners. But I think also... Well, a lot of these organizations, um, not just Maple, but really any other organization, you get what you put into it as well. So you meet someone, maybe at an event, but it's the onus is sort of uh, on the member or yourself um, to really sort of leverage what that you know initial contact is, right? And of course, you know, you may not get something out of it immediately, but it's sort of getting that, um, developing the relationship uh, and, and building it out over time as well. Okay. And what can to achieve? I mean, what are, if people are coming into it with a kind of eyes wide open, what should they be aware of? It's not really going to be a vehicle for X, Y, or Z. What, in your opinion, have, have you seen people come into and expect a lot of things and really that's not what it's designed for in your experience? Yeah. So actually we, on that note, we actually created from Maple Business Council, the consulting practice from that as well. Because there are limitations in terms of what the bilateral trade organization can do. It's really mostly for networking and creating opportunities. 
Um, but we created this consulting organization, made for business advisors, is really, at least at this point, a lot of it's about market entry. And so um, we do some like uh, events where we provide mentors to certain companies looking to go into different markets, but also a lot of market research um, as well. Um, so that's something that I guess the Maple Business Council um, probably wouldn't provide, but we're trying to provide some value because we don't look some expertise in that space. And so it came out that, well, why don't we just provide a value-added uh, consultancy service as well? So that's just evolving over time. We'll see where that leads to. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we saw that potentially as an opportunity to mitigate some limitations from just the council. So we did briefly talk about California and the fact that Stephen Armstrong, your colleague, had already been down there. They did a kind of social club for Canadian expats. So what was the thinking? Was it, Did it really work out, you know, California being a strategic hold there in North America? Was that really, really kind of just fortuitous? Or do you think it's kind of evolved over a period of time and really had brought value eventually, but it's been quite a lot of hard work? What, what do you think in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, the way I sort of look at it is, um, you know, obviously Canada's got, you know, trade relationships with a lot of different countries, some of which those relationships are much more mature yeah. um, and others in just in its infancy, right? So uh, if you look at large in terms of scope and or magnitude and mature, I mean, the U.S. is the best example, right? It's our largest trading yeah. partner. But I think as, as that sort of evolves over time, it's more difficult to look at it from a country to country basis. And there's a lot of other organizations that sort of do that. So one thing that sort of attracted me to Maple is that, that we sort of take a regionalized approach. And if you look at just California alone, I mean, it's the fifth largest economy in the world. And if you look at Southern California, LA, it's like top 20 uh, in the world as well. So it speaks to the fact of the, just the, the, the might of the GDP in California yeah. as well. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for that as these um, relationships mature to really look at uh, those relationships from a regional basis. And I, I would say that even for like a, a country like China as well, when I was working on the China strategy, it was like looking at China in its entirety. But as we look forward in the future, uh, you can look at it more on a regional basis, as in like Eastern China versus Western China. I think the economic development there is very different and those opportunities are very different as well. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good point, Ash. I never, ever thought of China as being regionalized. You know, you just see China as a country, but you're yeah. absolutely right. You know, it's like any part of North America. There's different strengths and different sort of factors that drive the local economies, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, locally here, we see a lot of interest in terms of moving forward the Cascadian initiative which is really a BC and Washington and Oregon um, as sort of one economic entity. And I think there's a lot to be said and a lot of opportunity there. Obviously, with COVID, it's created a lot of border challenges. Yeah. But I mean, you can clearly see, I think, um, you know, to the extent that is economic growth in Washington, that will spill over to BC as well. I mean, in the very simple case, in terms of like, there's increased wealth in, in Washington and Seattle, but there's uh, more visitors from Washington coming to BC. But I think it goes way beyond that, actually, in terms of yeah. uh, from a business perspective, in terms of even you already see it, like companies with who are based in Seattle, but have reasonably sized offices here in Vancouver, most only Microsoft and Amazon, and to a less extent, Boeing um, as well. Okay, well, that's really interesting that. So again, regionalizing things and making it so it becomes a hub yeah. almost, which is the important thing. What's um What's been our biggest export from Canada or from the region of BC, do you think, down to California? Um, I think in the past it's actually been, uh, and this may have differed from a year-to-year basis, but when we last looked at them, it was actually um, electricity, actually, excess power, actually. Really? 
Interesting. So I think companies like BC Hydro, they've got a um, subsidiary that actually specializes, I think, in, in export of excess energy. And I guess California is one of those main markets. Yeah. And we forget that California's got a population almost equivalent to uh, to Canada, I think, yeah. sort of 30 odd million people. So yeah. you can understand why it would become something that's worth selling to. And I suppose, let's flip the coin. What's been the biggest export from California back up into to BC in, in the Canadian region? Do you know that? I think in terms of um, commodities, I think um, agricultural products would still be really big. But if you take aside commodities, obviously, uh, from traditionally, I guess, from Northern California, there's obviously, I mean, technology is a big export. So you've got a lot of companies uh, based in, in Southern California. There's a lot of linkages there, obviously. Yeah. Um, but on the Southern California, and as you can see, walking down the street is like the film and TV. And so just a couple of weeks back is like Disney Animation just announced that they're going to be opening an office here in Vancouver uh, in January. So that's on top of um, film and TV production that goes on here. Uh, in Vancouver. So that that's a really strong linkage, I think. I mean, I suppose the, the question off the back of that, what makes Canada so attractive, not just to North America, but to the rest of the world? What do you think our key attributes are that we can export? I mean, I think talent base is, uh, especially for not necessarily merchandise, but services, I think that's key, right? So I actually think from an economic perspective, and it's something I feel very strongly about in terms of how do we make Canada competitive in the future? And I think it starts from one thing. If you had a dollar to spend, where would you spend it on? And I'm a huge believer in education, actually, and really can strategically use our traditionally as we thought of more as a post-secondary education, the the, the, um, the curriculums that you provide can really provide us an opportunity to compete um, in the future. And I really think we should have programs that are really focused on terms of emerging technologies and opportunities. But I think it actually goes beyond the post-secondary level, I think you can really begin to see that at the K to 12 level. So it was pretty intuitive, I think, by the previous provincial government, I think, that they actually wanted to start introducing um, programming, computer programming to like kids in kindergarten and that. My, my son in school, actually, they were actually introduced to to very like elementary level programming, um, I think in grade one or two or wow. something. But those are the kind of things that I think can really make Canada competitive in the future. And you look at different jurisdictions, you know, we're, we're a very affluent country as it is today. But that doesn't mean that's going to be the case in the future. And so it's a matter of retaining what we have today and also remaining competitive in the future. And I think education is a big is a big part of that. So um, on top of that, um, today I'm wearing a UBC shirt. So I'm actually quite involved with the university here uh, as well. Okay. Tell us more. Tell us more. I'd like to know about it. So I'm actually on the Alumni Advisory Council, and I've been on that for six years. I represent the Faculty of Arts. I'm really proud to be part of that group. It took me a while to get on it. Uh, I actually done a lot of uh, mentoring with students and then actually hiring students at the airport in the past. And then just last week, actually, they asked me to be the vice chair of the Alumni Advisory Council. So that was a real honor. Congratulations. Well done. I mean, you like you say, it's not about getting immediate gratification from these things. You've got to sort of plant the seeds, haven't you? You've got to be able to sort of get, you know, put put some cash in the register, as they say, before you get any cash out. But well done. And so that took a little bit while, but you're now in a position where you can hopefully help and influence and promote. That's the important bit, isn't it? Yeah, I think Canada's in a really great position in the sense that, you know, again, we can strategically leverage the value of our post-secondary institutions. I think the quality of education is really good. 
And actually the price that you pay for the, the quality of the education, I think is really good as well. And you can obviously see that from the amount of foreign students we have. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and again, you were speaking just before we were recording that you said you're involved in quite a lot of other organizations over a period of the last probably five or 10 years. So, so what have you done kind of with your life over that period of time? You know, you've been working at the airport, but uh, what else, what other organizations have been actively involved with? So the airport's been very supportive of that. I guess that's something that I'm passionate about and brings uh, I can bring to the table. So on top of uh, uh, Maple Council and UBC, then there's also World Trade Center Vancouver. So I sit on the advisory board there. So World Trade Center Vancouver is a subsidiary of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. And so they run different programs like the Trade Accelerator Program, which helps small companies learn how to export uh, abroad. I'm also a director on the Richmond Chamber of Commerce here uh, locally. And then I've also been on the board of Tourism Richmond here locally. And as I mentioned, Hong Kong Cannabis Association. But I love sports as well. So I coached my son in baseball. Um, last year was a little bit of a challenge. We were still under COVID restrictions. And I've coached him in, in football in the past. But um, And then just my outside passions. I love watching football pretty much at every level from high school, college to, to the NFL so, and the CFL. So, so fall is a great time for me. <laughs> You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Jason C. of the Maple Business Council. Next, I want to ask Jason a little bit more about his home life and how his family arrived from Hong Kong. Uh, at the time, my aunt or um, my mom's sister had moved um, to Canada, I think a year or two before that. And they moved to Winnipeg, which is why they moved to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like all immigrants, it's really, um, you know, finding a better opportunity. So one thing I, I always um, remark on is, and, and it doesn't matter if it's from Hong Kong or for other, from other places too. I've always remarked and I really um, admire actually immigrants in the sense that a lot of them have to actually give up you know, better positions from their former country and maybe take a lower position when they get to Canada. And they're making that sacrifice for their children, actually. So I find that's very um, admirable, actually. And I've actually, uh, I was teaching at BCIT and I remember having a student and he was probably in his 40s or 50s. And he, he was actually senior manager at a bank in Malaysia, actually. Gave that all up to come to school to learn a new trade, but really he gave all that up. Um, just for his, his kids to come to, to school and, and, and grow up in this country. So, yeah, I mean, I'm very thankful for my parents for having the opportunity to, to grow up in this country. And, and um, But, I, I mean, I didn't have to go through the immigrant experience myself. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm very um, admirable in terms of the sacrifices that immigrants make to come to this country. What would you say were some of the key attributes that you think you learned from your family and your parents that really have put, held you in good stead, really, for living a great life here in Canada? I guess, you know, working hard and, and um, one thing that I, uh, I tried to teach my son as well <laughs> from my own experience is that, you know, it's important to be put, put yourself in situations where you have to go through adversity. And so I think it's actually good to fail <laughs> because if you don't fail enough, that probably means you haven't tried enough things. Um, so, so I think that's what my parents tried to teach me and I tried to teach my son as well is try different things and, and you're not going to be successful at everything, but you have to actually fail because it's such a great learning experience from, from trying different things. Did, did you get an opportunity to sort of go back to Hong Kong when you were much younger to visit relatives and to see, uh, you know, how business is, is created in Hong Kong? Because Hong Kong was an amazing place for me. I just couldn't believe how things got done so quickly, so efficiently. Yeah. 
and to such a high standard. I mean, it was incredible to see how the local Hong Kong, um, you know, Chinese people were, were so efficient at what they did. Or did you glean things from it when you went back that just totally surprised and blew you away? So the first time I went back to Hong Kong was when I was 15, actually. So at that point, uh, most of our relatives are now moved over to, to Canada. But at that point, it was eye-opening because we're sort of in isolation and I didn't realize I had such a big family there. So that was eye-opening from, from one perspective. But um, uh, here, actually, government is very supportive of business. And so you also have a lot of crown corporations. But that doesn't exist in Hong Kong. It's much <laughs> sink or swim, actually. So I was really surprised to see how much the, the private sectors, even like the bus services, like transit here. I mean, transit is just one run by one entity here. But um, in Hong Kong, and as, as it is in other parts of Asia, you'll have different bus companies doing transit, right? So I thought <laughs> that, that was quite eye-opening. What was really eye-opening, too, is we had a chance to go into mainland China at the time, which you didn't have a lot of opportunity to do that uh, back in the 80s. That's right. And we went into Guangzhou, and I remember like seeing all these bikes around, and, and we were actually went to the airport there. And we were flying to Guilin, I think it was. And the airport there was probably the equivalent size of our south terminal here at YVR. I had a chance to go back to Guangzhou maybe 10 years ago. We had an exchange as we were trying to develop nonstop service between Vancouver and Guangzhou. And I think their volumes are probably twice that of Vancouver's now. And so... Wow, that's incredible. Um, just to see how that's totally changed. Um, over the course of the last 20 years it was is truly remarkable. Although I was to say, I think I, we stayed at a hotel back in the 80s and I stayed at that same hotel <laughs> um, some 20, whatever, 20, 30 years afterwards. With no change or did it had it improved? Um, I think it was quite similar. At the time, obviously, when we first went there, that was like the best hotel in, 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 in Guangzhou. Maybe it wasn't the case, but I think it was very centrally located. So, um, so that also makes me really interested in like these other emerging markets as well, like in Southeast Asia, because like Vietnam, that could be the next China. And so they're going through that same experience as well. So from a personal perspective, I always think there's lots of trade opportunities between Canada and some of these uh, developing markets like Indonesia and Vietnam as well. Yeah, that's very interesting you should say that because, again, it's become – you start to see when it becomes a holiday destination you know, for backpackers and it starts to open up. That's usually the indication that they're sort of opening their doors a little bit to sort of Western you know, influence, I suppose, and business culture and what have you. What do you think, just going back to China very, very briefly, what do you think really changed China over the last 20 or 30 years? What's – you think has been the major influence for it to become a major power now in the world? Part of it is just the migration from more from the rural sector to, to the major cities. So you've seen these cities actually just develop out of the blue. Shenzhen is probably the best example there. And uh, I think I heard um, someone say um, that, you know, in terms of innovation, um, there's two places in the world that you really are the leading centers of innovation would be um, the Bay Area, but Shenzhen is probably equally, if not more, <laughs> innovative, actually. And so I think um, the migration, and typically when you have migration from the farms to the cities, that's really where you can actually um, grow wealth of the country, I guess, or average wealth. But to see some of these cities develop, and then actually some of just the, the innovation from some of these, now I guess sort of the mega tech companies like the Alibabas and Tencent is really sort of driving some of that growth and development. And, and you probably see that in some of the other emerging countries as well. So I wanted to sort of fast forward a little bit then to your kind of where you got started in business life, because I think from what I read on LinkedIn was it you originally sort of started, is that right, in sort of TD Bank and that sort of area in the financial sector? Was that correct? Finances was my area of interest. And so I have a degree in economics and an MBA. And actually, um, 
have designations of a Canadian investment manager designation and a charter financial analyst designations. Um, so I went into banking and commercial banking with TD in their um, commercial account manager training program. And then was posted in, in Kelowna and then also here in, in Vancouver. And then ultimately joined um, the airport and corporate finance. But it took me a long time to get in the airport. I think I applied for something like 10 years, actually. Wow. It's just because my passion is growing up. And I grew up in Richmond, just close to the airport. It's a place I've always wanted to work was in aviation. Um, so it's sort of an interesting story here. So when we were in elementary school, a lot of us used to go play hockey outside in the street after school, like a lot of elementary school kids in Canada did. And then it got you know, sort of dark. But how would I actually know when it's time to go home for dinner? So one of the signals that I would use is like FedEx, they'd have a 727, which takes off at like 530 every evening. And so when you see the FedEx plane take off, that means uh, it's time to go home for dinner, right? So I, love it. I guess aviation in the airport was sort of entrenched in me in a very early age. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, of course, and, and the links to Hong Kong as well, Kai Tak Airport was so famous. You know, I remember landing there when I was a kid and it was just one of the hardest approaches that any pilot could ever do. But there was very few accidents. That was the incredible thing about it. It was such a tough airport to get in and out of. But it influenced my life when I was a kid. You know, traveling in the early 70s was highly unusual, flying yeah. and what have you. And so for me, I've got some fond memories, a little bit like you, you know, that that influenced me. And it's funny how you, how you said that it took so long to get into the airport because... The airport has a, almost a magic about it, isn't it? It's that kind of element of traveling and new horizons and what have you. But there's so many people that want or would love to work for the airport, but it took you 10 years. But you obviously had the, uh, well, I suppose the uh, the grit to carry on, eh? Yeah, and perhaps that's a sort of a, uh, you know, a story to tell, uh, you know, younger people as well is that, um, you know, never give up. It's like, uh, it's like a, I hear free people who go to Hollywood or whatever to, they want to be a movie star or whatever it's really um it's not whether you'll get a chance it's really whether you wait long enough for that rp you will get the get the opportunity i guess um, at some point yeah and it's about luck and a little bit of serendipity and about being in the right place at the right time isn't it you have to make those opportunities actually that leads us really greatly to a well if somebody was looking to get into aviation uh, and the airport environments within canada you know if they're sort of currently at school and they're looking to go to college or university what are some of the recommendations that you'd have? Because you've mentored the young young college people before. If What are the different aspects of the airport that are really good for people who just want to do a technical trade or who want to go into kind of the more of the kind of, you know, the financial side of things? What would you yeah. recommend if they're looking to go that route? So I've taught at the BCIT Airport Operations Program, which is just uh, located um, just south of uh, the airport. It's on the uh, on on Sea Island, so that's a great educational institution if you want to go to more of the operational side. And we've hired quite a few folks from there who are my colleagues now. If it's more on sort of the administrative business side, um, one thing we didn't have when I was joining is we didn't have as many co-op opportunities, but that seems to be a great opportunity now. And, and it's both good both for the employee and employer to get a sense, um, to get a feel for each other, um, but to leverage those kind of opportunities. So we do quite a bit of recruiting, even despite the fact that obviously it's a very challenging time in the business right now. But we've had a lot of people leave the business, unfortunately. So once things recover, and I'm not just talking about the airport, um, but just probably aviation in general, there's going to be potentially a lot of new opportunities for the next generation of folks going into the aviation business. And, and is it one where, you know, people of a certain strata are really key for that business? Or are you looking all age ranges across the business? Are there opportunities for anybody, you know, across the business? Yeah, I think there's a diversity uh, of people we're looking for, fresh graduates for those entry-level positions. But I think 
Um, for the senior level positions, there's value both in terms of people who bring perspectives from other airports, but other businesses, um, I think is quite beneficial as well. In terms, and I think it brings, that diversity brings a really good mix in terms of different perspectives on the business as well. Okay, I'd love to kind of meander back to the Maple Business um, Council as well, because that's really one of the main reasons that we got together. Sure. So if somebody was, uh, and I, I did ask this question early on, but I'd love to just go back there and make sure we can give them some information. If somebody is interested in developing developing a business relationship in America, would that be fair to say? Or is it specifically California, New York? What was the perspective on that? Um, I think it is, can be America, but I think specifically yeah. those opportunities, quite honestly, at this point where Maple's strongest is in California, New York. Okay, fair enough then. So if they, if somebody decided this interests them, there's something they would like to explore, what are the easiest ways to reach out to you and Steve? And what, what would you suggest? Probably easiest thing is look at our website, maplecouncil.org, and you'll just get a sense of our activities, some of our members. Um, there's also, there's an opportunity to contact us directly through that website. Um, alternatively, you can contact me directly if it's for a BC um, membership. Um, and that's jason at maplecouncil.org. And then also through our social media channels Well. um as I say, probably LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram are probably the three main ones that uh, that I use. At least. <laughs> but we're very active on there. Yeah. Okay, great. Lovely. We'll make sure we'll pop those links at the end. Now, um, in terms of sort of going forward, what, what does the crystal ball say for the Maple Business Council? And you've already talked about the consultancy side of the business, which is very exciting, actually, because that helps bring people's skill sets into helping others, uh, which I, I, I adore. I think that's a great, great way of uh, helping people and mentor people as well. But what does the crystal ball say for the Maple Business Council for the future? What are the things on the horizon in your mind? Yeah, I mean, we're sort of limited by the sense that um, a lot of us have full-time jobs, so we can only spend so much time uh, with us as a council or advisory. Um, but one of the things I'm sort of thinking of here locally, we were really lucky uh, last summer we had Consul General Brandon Lee, who's Consul General for Canada in Seattle. He was actually our guest speaker for our members. Um, but I think there's probably an opportunity um, as we move forward for the BC chapter, potentially to become more of a Cascadia type chapter, whether we call it that or not. There's just a lot of natural linkages between BC and Washington. I think for a lot of BC companies, their likely first inclination if they're entering the US market is probably Washington or Oregon. Um, so is there more opportunities to align with like the Cascadia Innovation Corridor or work with the Seattle uh, Consulate Office to develop sort of more opportunities for dialogue, I, can, I think, between BC and Washington. Potentially, could we have someone maybe in either we, we grow BC to, to combine Washington as one, or is there an opportunity to have someone based in Seattle to sort of develop a chapter there as well? If people want to obviously look out for any of the events that you do, can you give us an idea of the up and coming events that might be happening in the next couple of months? October 14th, I'm hosting a virtual uh, meeting uh, for the BC chapter, but we again open it up um, to all our members and actually anyone who's sort of interested in potential membership, it's free as well. So that's on our, our website under maplecouncil.org under the events tab. Um, and our speaker is actually Eric Eide, Director of Innovation for the Alliance for SoCal Innovation. So he'll talk a little bit about the uh, tech ecosystem in LA and Southern California. And then we also have an event for New York chapter, I believe it's October 27th. And I think the topic is on clean energy. Hydro-Quebec will be speaking um, at that event. And that's hosted by our um, uh, executive director, John Costanzo uh, in New York. And then moving into uh, December, we'll have um, hopefully, we're still uh, <laughs> determining how that's going to look like, but some holiday reception mixer, actual or virtual as well. Obviously, it's been a little bit challenged 
uh, in terms of determining whether we'll have actual events or virtual events um, in the near term. Well, again, these can all be found on the Facebook site or on the website, which which is good. And like I said, we'll post those uh, links at the end of the show. You, you Again, I'm going to actually do your crystal ball a little bit because I know you're really at the thin edge of the wedge in terms of transportation and you see you know things starting to evolve within the aviation industry. Look in the next six, 12 months, it's a really hard thing to predict, but do you see some positive movement? Do you see some you know, growth coming back into the industry? And do you see things moving forward slowly but surely at this stage in your view? Yeah, I mean, so maybe I can divide my comments both to the passenger side and the cargo side. So cargo side is where I work in today. I mean, we're already seeing um, levels of cargo return to back to pre-COVID levels. And obviously you hear a lot of issues in terms of supply chain right now, just things open up really quickly after being closed down. So obviously there's going to be some near-term impacts, but in terms of just overall volumes, I think we're, we're, we're trending very well back to, to pre-COVID levels. In terms of the passenger side, I think what we'll see in the US, I think I just saw United announced today that uh, going into Christmas, they're almost close to pre-COVID capacity levels, but that's domestic. So I think Domestic leisure travel will probably come back relatively quickly. The business travel segment is probably a little bit challenged. And I think the challenge there is that as the 10-year sort of lockdowns, and you're competing against Teams and Zoom as well, because the innovation there is going to continue. So business travel will be a little challenged. And then on the international side, uh, it'll be challenged as well, because obviously a lot of different rules. We're still fighting against different variants. What are the travel rules going to look like? Um, vaccine dissemination is by no means uniform throughout the world as well. So, so that's going to be a little bit challenged. So I would say near term, um, domestic leisure traffic will probably come back fairly quickly. And then business travel, domestic will come back after that. And then I think international will probably be the, the most challenging uh, to come back. Fair enough. And thank you for your overview on that, because it's quite to get somebody in the industry is really seeing it at the thin edge of the wedge. But that, that's really, really good. OK, before we go, i got one last question. So um, if you were 18 again, what would you tell yourself? Uh you know what? I, I, it's been great being involved with Maple Business Council, but I've never lived in California. So I think if I was to tell myself again um, to take those opportunities to be geographically mobile, I know we're talking about COVID, so it's not that easy. Um, but take those opportunities to be geographically mobile, at least in the early part of your career, uh, I think can be really beneficial, both from a career perspective as well as a personal perspective. And, and actually, the fact that, you know, I sort of tell my son this now in terms of it's okay to fail and you should fail a lot. I wish I had known that when I was younger as well, because I think it's always good to try different things. And if it doesn't work out, that's, that's totally fine. But you went through the experience and, you know, either meeting new people, learning something new, that in itself is an experience onto itself. Well, Jason C, I want to say thank you so much for coming on board. And I hope that we can at least let people know about the Maple Business Council and about the links between the US and Canada, which I think, you know, are, are great. I mean, they're our immediate partner. And they're essential to the economy of Canada. Uh, they certainly are, you know, at the end of the day. But uh, thank you for coming on and I really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks so much for having me, David. And I look forward to joining you again in the future. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week has been Jason C. of the Maple Business Council, promoting great trade links between Canada, Southern California and New York. Remember, there are other conversations coming up in the series. Just look out for On Another Track on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America. Thank you.